Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen! It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 83, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. That's K-I-S-T. Also follow my work for BleedingGreenNation.com. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight Year Streak Without a Bad Day. You can find his draft work at DraftNetwork.com. Check out his work on BleedingGreenNation.com. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? I didn't hear what number you said it was. What number did you say it was? 83. Oh, very interesting. We could go with Greg Lewis. We could go with Josh Perkins. Wow. Firstly, screw you for saying Josh Perkins. <laughs> when I was working through film for the Nelson Aguilar piece, I was watching Tampa Bay, and that was the game where like Josh Perkins was getting targets over Dallas Goddard, and I remember how furious yeah. I was, and it pissed me <laughs> off all over again, but... I'm disappointed in you because 83, Greg Lewis, is the incorrect answer. Vince Papale, baby. Oh, Even Vince. I know that one. Wow. Very nice. Heck yeah, brother. You finally nailed one I think you won't get yelled about. Yeah, hopefully not. That's why I want like, if I had said Greg Lewis over Vince, I feel like I would have gotten ripped to shreds. Though For Greg sure. Lewis was a good dude. Not a great wide receiver coach, but a good dude. So today we're going to be doing the Twitter mailbag. We reached out to you at BGN underscore radio for some questions as we enter this free agency period. But before we get to the Twitter mailbag, that's going to be the second half of the show. Ben, there are a lot of things happening in the NFL world right now as we get to free agency. It's definitely not a dead period. This show just may end up dating itself very soon, probably as soon as we put it out. But we'll do our best and we'll note that this is being recorded at noon on Friday. So we can only deal with what's in front of us right now. I've got Adam Schefter's timeline up on my computer permanently. But here is what has happened recently that we can speak of. Buckle in. The Redskins and Broncos make a deal. Redskins send a sixth rounder in return for a seventh rounder and quarterback Case Keenum. So he can go compete with Colt McCoy. Yippee. I don't think this precludes them from selecting a quarterback in this draft, but this really ain't the class if you're looking for an immediate starter in the middle of the first round. The Bills were rumored to be closing in on a deal with the Steelers' Antonio Brown. That fell apart after AB tweeted fake news and then reportedly nixed the deal. AB, draft Twitter, Josh Allen, and Bill's Mafia is predictably dealing with it in a rational manner. That had too many references for me. See, now, now you made me lose track. I was I was on a roll. I'm hitting them. That's what, that's what the podcast is. The Jaguars just released running back Carlos Hyde after trying to trade him with no luck. That was expected, at least for me. It also looks like they're releasing defensive tackle Malik Jackson, which is interesting, uh, but also expected. The Steelers are looking to trade right tackle Marcus Gilbert in their least interesting news of the 24-hour cycle. Cowboys defensive lineman David Irving, have you seen this, got on Instagram smoking a blunt to say that he was quitting football. Uh, that's kind of like seeing like Florida man in the news headline just with an NFL twist. The Giants, in my opinion, make a great move which is shocking to hear myself say, they offload the underperforming and costly edge defender Olivier Vernon in a trade with the Browns, where they acquire a very good starting guard in Kevin Zeitler from the Browns, who they will pair with Will Hernandez at that position. Ben, that move makes a ton of sense for me. 
The Giants needed more reinforcements on the line. They got a top guard with three years left on his contract. Look, they make the tough and right decision to bite the bullet on the Vernon contract. How do you feel about all these offseason movings and shakings going on right now? Number one, I I don't know anything about uh, David Irving and Randy Gregory and whatever. It does strike me that I just don't, like, this is probably just confirmation bias. I don't know. I just, it doesn't seem like Jason Garrett can handle a locker room. <laughs> doesn't seem like Jason Garrett has, you know, he's got like two, two players who, when he like, not when he got the job, because he's been, been there for a while, but like for multiple years, like three, four plus years, have had serious like off field concerns and like, I don't want to say character concerns. You could throw Greg Hardy in that mix too, and he definitely had a character right, yeah. concern. They take on a lot of risky guys. Right. Like things that are like going to lead for them to be suspended. You know what I mean? Like a disciplinary, right. whatever you want to call it. Like, you know, just like recreational, whatever. Uh, and he just doesn't seem to be able to handle that, which I think is like worthy of note. You got Felix Jones stealing underwear. At the end of the day. David Irving, a fantastic talent who never panned out. Randy Gregory, a fantastic natural talent who never panned out. It's a shame to see that for the players. Uh, Carlos Hyde, I'm down for if he's cheap, which I think he's going to be because yeah. nobody wanted to trade for him. And he's been on like 95 teams in the past two years. He's the Josh Johnson of running backs. Zeitler for Vernon. I mean, this is how you do it, Cleveland. This is how you do it. You, you draft Corbett, Austin Corbett out of Nevada, guard tackle kind of player at 35 yep you bring him in you see if you can win a job he isn't able to win left tackle he isn't able to win left guard that's okay offensive lineman it usually takes multiple years uh and now you've got kevin zeiler like you said one of the best guards in the league but corbett was drafted to be his replacement you probably would have cut zeiler after this season Mm -hmm. because he's got an debate like like this is basically his last year with dead cap he's got two essentially option years at 10 million and 12 million with no dead cap on the cut so you probably would have cut him for corbett anyway you know you're going to get hopefully not equal production but passable production for about a tenth of the cost of corbett uh and so now you you add olivier vernon you also move up from the fifth round to the fourth round right i anticipate olivier vernon getting the snaps as if he's going to be the solution like he's going to he's going to be like the guy they needed opposite of garrett like zeitler vernon's basically two years of options 15.5 million 15.5 million both next two years, both no dead cap off the cut. So you can cut him at any time. I think he's going to get the primary snaps opposite Garrett. I don't think, like, he's better than Emmanuel Ogba. There's no doubt. He's better than what Jannard Avery is right now. Right. I don't think he's better to the point where, like, 15.5 million is, like, worth it. Like, like the escalation over Ogba's rookie contract and over Avery's rookie contract. I think we can all agree on the value that Vernon brings isn't what his yeah. contract states. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, like, because you have Garrett, Ogba, and Avery all on rookie deals, all rushing the passer, you he can add a 15.5 million guy, and it's yeah. okay, because right now you're super cheap at the edge position. You know what I'm saying? And you've got a rookie contract window where you're not paying a bunch for a quarterback, and you can kind of make those moves to get a contributor, even if they're overpriced, right now right so like exactly i think you're at the point where like maybe vernon and and it's tricky because we say that vernon like underproduced vernon was just in like and and apparently i just learned recently this is a hot take and by learned recently i mean i i saw what pff thinks about olivia vernon vernon's always been in my opinion a better run defender than he's been a pass rusher now right they have him as like the third best rusher in one-on-one situations in league which <laughs> really surprises me now, that being yeah. said i i when i watch a pass rusher i don't really i i guess i do contextualize his rush as like one-on-one versus double teams but how often are edges getting double teamed like does that mean he's not getting chipped like i don't i don't really know what that means i don't think vernon is a high impact pass rusher but i think miles garrett is and i think that vernon is a solid pass rusher not worth 15.5 million but you have the money to pay him let garrett be your high impact guy let vernon 
win the one-on-ones that he gets because he's not Garrett. And apparently he'll be really good at those. So, like, it makes sense for what the, the Browns needed to add for sure. So I think it makes sense all around. It's a good idea all around. The Browns planned nicely into it. The Giants desperately need the help on the offensive line. They're clearly investing a ton of money into it, which makes sense for the way that team is currently constructed. Both teams got better. Both teams have good flexibility. Win-win. Ben, you remember when we were prepping for the Giants and we watched, what, who was it, Patrick Omama? Yeah, yeah, 70. Right guard 70. Oh, heck yeah, brother. Oh, yeah. Good football (laughs) player. We knew that was going to be a slaughtering with him and Fletcher Cox. They desperately needed to do this to to ensure that they can eliminate all the excuses for Eli Manning, especially if they draft a, a top tackle there inside the top 10 then this definitely gets rid of a lot of those excuses. They've actually done a decent, the drafting of Will Hernandez. Nate Solder is overpaid, but he's solid. I mean, they had to do something. That's just what the market is. But I think they've done a really good job over the past two years. We'll see what they continue to do to try and fix that dumpster fire of an offensive line and eliminate those excuses and at least set themselves up for some success in the running game. There were so many miscommunications, so many times where the offensive line just felt out of sync for the Giants. So I think this fixes some of that for them bringing in a really good veteran. Do we want to talk Case Keenum? If you want to talk Case Keenum. I don't I don't remember if you said him in the rundown or not. I'm not sure if you introduced him as a topic. Did you? Yeah, I did. Case Keenum okay. versus Colt McCoy is the heavyweight duel of the century. What do you think this says about the possibility of the Arizona Cardinals apparently not listening to trade offers for Rosen, yet also the rumors that they want to take Murray at one? Do you think that this means that Rosen is not in the market to be traded right now? I, I won't tell you everything I've heard. I've heard 95,000 different things. <laughs> I'll tell you what I glean from the various things that I've heard. Arizona, even before Cliff, like we're still talking Steve Wilkes, did not like Nick Bosa enough to not want to entertain offers for one. So if they never hire Cliff, if Kyler stays with the Oakland Athletics, Arizona would still be open for business for one. They're not in love enough with Bosa that they wouldn't consider moving out of the position. Introduce Kyler and introduce Cliff, and it becomes a lot easier to get calls for one because (laughs) you can stir up smoke about Kyler and about Rosen and about Cliff and about picking a quarterback at one. And if none of this comes to fruition, will you still just draft Bosa? And they, like, from what I understand, they still like Bosa. It's just they're not, like, you know, locked into him at one. Okay, so. Well, they want to get more value out of it. You're at the number one pick overall. If you're not going to take a quarterback, I mean, yeah, you you take the war chest or take a really good edge rusher. Either way, you win. You drum up that value and see and give yourself some optionality and some different ways you can go. I agree. I think the general law that we all acknowledge to be true that we're forgetting in this particular instance because of Cliff Kingsbury, Kyler Murray, like that particular connection, the general law is – If you're drafting one overall, unless you need a quarterback and like the quarterback that you would take at one, you generate trade talk every time, all the time. If you need a quarterback and you kind of like the quarterback at one, but you're not sure you want to take him, you generate (laughs) trade interest. If you don't need a quarterback and there is a quarterback you take at one, you generate trade interest. If you don't need a quarterback and there is no quarterback, you generate trade. Like If you want your defensive coordinator to to know some more about the quarterback that you might be playing against and you're not going to draft and you're in the top 10, you meet with the quarterback. They do it for a lot of different reasons and it's going to generate, you know, that that push that. And you like you just you just like if you're picking at one. 
really, the the pool of people you could potentially pick is like three, maybe four. Like you're talking about like blue chip prospects. You have 50 visits to the combine. You have 60 visits or whatever it is. Of course, you're going to meet with literally everybody it could be. You know it's only <laughs> going to be three or four. Everybody else just screw around. Like, you know, obviously you're going to meet with middle round guys. I'm not disputing that. But it's a point like, like unless you are freaking Tampa Bay in 2015 or 2016, 2015, I think, 2015, and you know you want, like, yeah, yeah, you want Jameis or Marcus, and your job is just figure out who. You're gonna generate trade buzz, and honestly, they maybe even generate tra- trade buzz that year. I just don't remember, but it doesn't matter. The fact that Arizona has so much trade talk around them for potentially moving Rosen and potentially moving one indicates to me that if push came to shove, they would not draft Kyler at one if they had Rosen on the roster. That's my belief. Yep. I do believe there are deals where Arizona would move Rosen and take Kyler at one. I do believe those deals exist. It would not be Rosen for a third-round pick. Let me tell you, just unequivocally, I would be flabbergasted. And the simple reality is this. If you draft a guy at nine and then trade him for 75 one year later, (laughs) like, you can't show up to owner meetings. Right. Everybody will laugh at you, Michael Bidwell. Like, everybody, you are such an idiot. Like, that's, I've never seen a pick depreciate like that in the history of the universe. You know what I mean? Like, this is where we're at. So, I do believe there are trades they'd move Rosen to take Kyler for. I believe they're very, very steep trades that are not currently getting discussed, but may get discussed when we get close to the draft as teams really develop their board and what they think they want to do. If I had to predict right now, gun to my head, what happens, I would say that, like, Arizona ends up drafting Brian Burns at 7 and the Jaguars take Kyler at 1. That would be my ultimate guess. My next closest guest is they take Bosa at one, and the Jaguars take Kyler at three, and the Jets move back to seven. Those right. would be what I anticipate happening right now. That's going to change, but whatever. This whole Case Keenum being traded to Washington because Keenum's familiar with Cliff, and he'll be part of a package for Rosen is just nuts to me. <laughs> like, sure, I'm down. Like, that'd be fun. Yeah. I just think that's that's so many steps yeah. that you would need to have all of them completed before you made the Keenum deal. In a vacuum, it's good value for Case Keenum. Like, changing a 6th for a 7th for a guy who yeah. start and help you win games is great. Right. That being said, we always talk about QB purgatory. You never want Case Keenum to be your starter because he's not, like, bad enough that you just totally tank and you can go draft a rookie or you can, you know, justify putting in a rookie. But he's not good enough that you're really going to be highly competitive against the best teams. You're just stuck in limbo and paying money to do it. Now, the Redskins got out of like half the money on the contract. The Denver's still paying it, which, <laughs> I mean, they pantsed Elway. They just pantsed him. <laughs> I don't care. It's just, it's absurd at this point. The things that John Elway does with quarterbacks. Yeah. So while it's an objectively good deal, like in a vacuum, I don't think it should preclude them from taking a rookie. And very, very critically, if Keenum is playing and playing decently well, and they're putting up 20 points a game and they're six and, you know, if they're like four and six, they should still put their rookie in. Because you'd, you'd like, you know, Keenum's just like, he made, the, he brought the Vikings to the NFC Championship game and then they got destroyed by the Eagles. Like, he just doesn't have, I think, the firepower as a starting quarterback to push a team that deep into the playoffs and consistently provide Nick Foles' level of magic. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's what makes Foles special is that he doesn't seem to be that quarterback, that, 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 that quarterback who has enough firepower to, get you deep into the playoffs, get you to the Super Bowl to win the Super Bowl, but all of a sudden he pulls it out of his butt when he's there, and that's that's what we don't understand about him. Good deal in a vacuum. In context, it could be a bad deal if the Redskins just kind of let themselves sit around where they were sitting around when Kirk Cousins was their quarterback. Just having good enough quarterback play to be competitive, not good enough quarterback play to be, 
you know, legitimately competitive, you, you know, one would say. So that's my thoughts on, on Case Keenum. I like Case as a player. I don't think he's part of the Rosen deal or whatever. I'll be really interested to see. I, I, just, I have no faith in the Redskins, obviously. No reason to. Yeah, I put it on Twitter. Why do Redskins fans buy tickets? And they were all like, we don't, man. We don't. I mean, you saw Week 17, the Eagles filled that stadium. It wasn't It wasn't Redskins fans. They're just about as sick as Dan Snyder as everybody else. I hope he lives forever. I'm not sick of them. I, I love them. But, Ben, let's get to some Eagles news. It is now being reported, well, said by Michael Bennett, that he wants to be paid more than the $7.2 million that he is on the books for this year. With Brandon Graham returning, it makes moving on from Bennett, if they so choose, a little more palatable, all things considered. And if you've listened to this show for a while, you know that we're always pounding the table for how well Bennett played last year. But a tough business decision needs to be made concerning yep. his future with the Eagles. Gun to your head. Is Michael Bennett on the field for the Eagles in 2019? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say yes. Okay. Mostly out of hope. We'll, we'll continue to work through this process. I'm sure Bennett just got traded as I'm editing this. Breaking news. As I predicted, Michael Bennett was in fact traded as I was editing this exact portion of the show. The Eagles sent Bennett and a 2020 seventh rounder to the New England Patriots for a 2020 fifth round pick. Check out BleedingGreenNation.com for further updates. News at 11. Well, are you seeing what's happening in Jacksonville right now? Deshaun Gibson, the safety, has been released. They're offloading a lot of the contracts that they brought in. Gibson released. Yeah. Malik Jackson released. And Jeremy Parnell was just released. Three Jacksonville players have been released in the 24 minutes and 32 seconds we've been recording this podcast. Uh, you forgot Hyde, too. That's four. <laughs> but, no, like, he was, was released before. before we start recording. Yeah. Right. During the recording, <laughs> one player released per eight minutes and 10 seconds. Things are going well. It's wild. It's a crazy day. So maybe we can pick up some Jaguars, but we'll get to that. Obviously, news will be dropping as we record and as we edit and get this up. But we're going to take a quick break here on Bleeding Green Nation. After we come back from the break, we are going to throw it to the Twitter mailbag. We asked for questions from you at BGN underscore radio. You gave us questions. We hope we have answers. We'll be back with those answers right after this. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. We are back on the Kissed and Solak Show, episode 83, brought to you by Bleeding Green Nation and SB Nation. Ben, let's get to the Twitter mailbag. The gentle listeners had some questions for us. I've got a few here that we can, we can start with. Uh, Casey Young. Love Casey, longtime listener. Always been very nice to me since I've joined with Bleeding Green Nation. At underscore Casey Young, friend of the show. 
asks, which specific position would the Eagles double dip at? Uh, there, there's a couple for me. I think interior defensive line is a position where they could go twice on, whether it be in free agency for a run stuffer, then spending a premium pick on a guy like Christian Wilkins from Clemson. Uh, they really want to work a rotation along that line. And obviously, depending on what we just talked about with Michael Bennett, uh, that would go a long way in helping Fletcher Cox get back down to 60% of the snaps instead of the 80% he was at last year. Another position I think they could double dip at, running back. Spencer Ware, then double dip with North Dakota State running back Bruce Anderson would be a great moment. For my brand. I know. I know you're huge on where. Did you see the Mike Garofalo no, report? What now? Uh, Garofalo said on 97.5 that uh, Eagles are 100% players for Tevin Coleman. Falcons running back when he hits free agency. A little bit pricier of an option. I like Tevin. I, I, I really like his game. Here's the most important thing about Tevin Coleman is that, and, and obviously, like, don't quote me on this, but I'm going to say it on a podcast, so it's it's a quote. <laughs> um, I think that of the free agents, he's unquestionably the best outside zone yep. runner. Maybe the best running back overall. I'm not positive on that. Losing a Jai is where Philadelphia loses their primary outside zone guy. Yeah. And they need the outside zone guy because outside zone is a big part of their offense. Yep. Uh, they run a ton of different stuff, but they lost a lot of their outside zone in their 2018 film, especially after a Jai went down. Sproles can run outside zone, but he's better on inside zone. Corey Clement is your power style runner. Wendell Smallwood, hypothetically, was your outside zone <laughs> runner. Ask me how that went. Um <laughs> Josh Adams was the best outside zone runner in the middle of the year, which was that thing where Mike and I were always like, how is this happening? This is not real. But he was effective. Yeah. Like, he was, you know, at least relatively effective. Coleman's the best outside zone runner on the market. The Eagles need the outside zone style of guy. Hands, obviously, also something Philadelphia value. So he, type-wise, he makes sense for their 1A mm. in terms of what they need to execute the offense. So Coleman, them targeting Coleman makes a lot of sense. Is there a position that you would double dip at if you were to get if you were to get Tevin Coleman out? Does that take out running back from that equation for double dipping, even if it's maybe a late run guy? Right, exactly. It's defined double dip because I can promise you Philadelphia is adding at least a UDFA running back, yeah. if not like a sixth or seventh, right. regardless of what happens, yeah. because that's just what they do. I will say this: looking at it more and more, thinking about it more and more, checking the free agent market, my like first 2020 hot take. I don't know. Boston Scott makes the roster. Ooh. Boston Scott makes the active roster because mm. I think that number one, Darren Sproles retires. Yeah. This is like this idea is predicated on Sproles retiring. Okay. If he doesn't retire, then Boston Scott's role, which is being Darren Sproles, is gone because <laughs> Darren Sproles is there. Yeah. But if Sproles retires, Scott's going into camp probably as your leading candidate for the return man position. Mm -hmm. You know, the other guys who could compete with it, Sheldon Gibson, probably not going to be a guy that you want on the active 53 man. Nelson Aguilar, who's returned before, but they never really like using him there. Right. They try to get other guys. Then maybe a secondary player. I don't know if, like, you know, we're talking about Cravon, talking about Maddox. I don't necessarily think those guys have great returning ability. Scott's been effective there. They used him there last season. And Scott's really got that Sproul-style frame and that Sproul-style of play. Mm -hmm. He can be, you know, like Clement, Scott, Tevin Coleman. That's fine. Yeah. That's a that's perfectly fine running back room. So I look at, like, you know, I think Clement is going to be a lock in the roster. Yeah. I think if Sproles retires, then it's a free agent or a mid-round draft pick as your 1A, Clement's your 1B. And then it's just the battle of, like, Josh Adams, Boston Scott, Danelle Pumphrey, other UDFAs, just, you know, piranhas going after running back three. I like it. I agree with that. Let me kick it back to the defensive line conversation for a second at Nick Bruins. Asked about thoughts on Gerald Willis, the defensive tackle from Miami as a pairing with Fletcher Cox. Uh, look, Nick, let's have a chat. It's hard for me to get the Boston College guard Chris Lindstrom bullying Willis out of his socks out of my head. 
And yeah. I, I've got a late first round grade on Lindstrom. Love his game. So I get that he's like a really hard person to beat regularly. I get that. But I didn't see enough from Willis in the other games. I don't have a very high grade on Willis is what I'm trying to get at here. And I think I prefer guys, and I'll just throw out some names there for you, like Chris Layton from Syracuse, Colin Sanders from Western Illinois, Draymond Jones from Ohio State, Daniel Wise from Kansas, who did great during the Shrine Week, just to give you some All these guys over Gerald Willis. Yeah. Wow. Every single one of them. Do you disagree? Miss me with Draymond Jones. Okay, so with Jones... Could not be further out on a prospect than I am on Draymond Jones for a long time. With Jones, he flashes his pad level, and, and I like Jones, and I like Jones as a potential pass rusher. I don't like the way he tested. Wow, I don't think it what makes an sense. idiot. Sorry, go ahead. I don't like the way he tested, but I see some flexibility there on tape. I see some first-step quickness. He might have the worst consistent pad level of any of the interior defensive linemen in this class. I think if you fix that, he might actually be able to play the run, even though he's a little bit undersized. Is that kind of why you're out on Jones? Because he cannot hold up for anything with that pad level and at that weight. You have a natural talent who won with athleticism, Mm -hmm. had no consistency and no discipline on film. Right. So we're trading entirely on athletic ability. And his ability to athletically dominate his opponents. Then a guy who was not consistent and not disciplined, did not show improvement, comes into the combine and tests very poorly compared to what he should have been at a lighter weight than we would have thought. To me, it just screams that he's got discipline issues. I just don't – like like I have no insight on the guy from like people who worked with him. He doesn't seem like a hard worker. I don't see anything that – you know what I mean? I just like – so he's naturally gifted. He's got good size. Thinner – Longer interior defensive guys who do not work their tails off yeah. are going to get big boyed all of the time. I just I, I can't sell myself on Draymond Jones. He made he made my top fifty off film based on certain <gasps> things. No, based on certain things, he did not check those boxes like I wanted to see him do. Right, that's the huge thing. <laughs> so he's definitely going to be tumbling down my board a little bit. Uh, ben, I love this question from at Brandon Glecklin. I think this is perfect for you. Which non-quarterback will look the most different on the Eagles board versus the consensus board? So, Ben, obviously, we construct our boards. We're doing it for 32 teams, but boards vary wildly from team to team based on what they want to do schematically, both on offense and defense. Some teams have certain thresholds that hold pretty solid. What guy fits the Eagles more than they would fit on our big umbrella big board, in your opinion? This is offense specifically? Offense or defense? I'll give one name for each. Offensively, and this is a take I've talked about before, but I'm not sure I said it on the podcast, Debo Samuel, the wide receiver out of South yeah. Carolina. All right. A guy who I think will be around at 53-57 if the Eagles want to go wide receiver early. Three reasons. Number one, if you have Alshon, Aguilar, and then pretty much nobody behind him, right? You need a guy who's able to win inside and outside. He's got to be able to play both positions because Nelson Aguilar basically split even his alignment out wide and his alignment in the slot and his routes run from wide and his routes run from the slot. He ran, I believe, like around like 550 snaps outside and like 480 snaps from the slot. Don't quote me on that. If you look at his snap distribution pre-Golden Tate trade, seven out of eight weeks, he had more snaps from the slot than he had out wide. Mm. Then there's Golden Tate, seven out of the next 10 weeks, he has more snaps out wide than he does the slot. And so really, that Golden Tate trade is what caused the conflation here, right? It's what, like, this the, the numbers are equal, but if you divide the year by Tate, you sh- it shows you the difference. Do the Eagles want Aguilar then to be an out wide receiver or a slot receiver? I don't know. 
Debo Samuel can be a slot receiver or an out wide receiver. I agree. Got that shorter, compact frame. When we talk about why you line up a receiver in the slot versus out wide, out wide, you're more likely to get press coverage up near the line of scrimmage, and you also have one-way goes. You're not going to be able to cut out left most of the time if you are the left outside receiver because you're going to be pretty close to the sideline. Yeah. So really the only route you're running into the sideline is like a comeback. Right. The slot, you're less likely to see press, and you get two-way goes. You can cut left and right because you have space either way. So that's why you want to have your bigger, stronger receivers in the outside. They can more likely to be able to handle press coverage. And your quicker receivers in the inside because they can maximize the two-way go, the value of being able to release both ways. Debo is strong and effective in his releases, can play outside, and is quick enough to maximize the two-way go. So inside and outside versatility. That's number one. Number two, Nelson Aguilar was one of the leading Eagles targets in 2017 in the red zone. Those numbers completely went away in 2018. Poured into Zach Ertz, poured into Alshon Jeffrey. Aguilar was the third by a very narrow margin receiver being uh, targeted in the red zone. Philadelphia loves to have separators in the red zone. They like to throw into the end zone between 10 and 15 yards off the line of scrimmage. Debo Samuel is one of the best separators in the class, right? Those red zone reps with Debo at the Senior Bowl, at will. Absolutely. So Debo becomes their quick option in the red zone that Nelson Aguilar wasn't able to be in 2018. Number three, gadget plays. Debo Samuel is a returner. Great with the ball in his hands. So he can fill that returner spot. I referenced earlier, number one. But great with the ball in his hands. Worthy of having those jet pass, those orbit motion, those little screen touches, because he can create with space. Philadelphia loves that. So Debo, for those three reasons. Now on the back end, Juan Thornhill, the safety out of Virginia. Another player I expect to be around 53-57. Player who tests out of his mind. You've heard us get excited about Juan Thornhill in the last podcast. 44 inches, baby. He jumped 44 inches. 44 in the vertical jump. (laughs) Reason I love him for what the Eagles need. Malcolm Jenkins is increasingly becoming a linebacker with every year that he gets older. That's fine. He's very good at being a quasi-linebacker safety. You need to have a guy who's able to play deep. That was Rodney McLeod. Now, McLeod, obviously, contract shortened, potentially only there for one more year. You need a guy who's able to play deep. Now, because the Eagles play predominantly cover three, he doesn't need to have insane range, right? It's very helpful to have insane range. But, like, when we talk about Earl Thomas, the quintessential cover three middle of the field safety, well, it's important to understand the differences in the cover three that Seattle ran versus typical cover three because they read their corners so far up into the line of scrimmage, that cover three press that it was kind of called, that really were playing a lot of cover one. They were more willing to give up the deep ball with their corners. So you needed Earl Thomas to have insane range. Philadelphia plays cover three with their corners eight yards off. Hypothetically, you don't get beat deep as much. Jalen Mills obviously has something to say about that. But (laughs) hypothetically, that's what that cushion does. So you don't need to have elite range. And, And Thornhill's got good range. He doesn't have elite range. But what Thornhill can do, and this is what's crucial, Fantastic ball skills, background as a corner. Philadelphia, when Ronnie McLeod was healthy this year, introduced a ton more trap coverages, the inverted cover two, McLeod coming down into the box. More so than he had ever done with the Eagles, McLeod spent time in the box. It was the biggest change the Eagles made. And that's why Vontae Maddox was effective as a free safety is because they let him come down. He used his corner ability to close down. He was playing close to the line of scrimmage. He didn't have full deep responsibilities. Thornhill, one of the best ball hawking safeties in the class, has that ability to maximize those trap coverages, to come down into robbers, to come down to buzz to run inverted cover two to affect the catch point generate big plays Juan Thornhill Debo Samuel if those two were 53 and 57 I would lose my mind oh I would love it I'd go bananas (laughs) I am I am with you on that very good suggestions there Ben last question we're gonna we're gonna bring it home with this and I love this this will fit our brand perfectly Frank J Hall calls himself J not sure what's going on there at Frank J Hall if you could take any two characters from Game of Thrones, who would you want to play 
and coach the Eagles, keeping in mind their skill sets and the Eagles' needs. Night King at quarterback is interesting, but while he's got the arm strength, I don't think his 40 time would be sub-7. Okay, so... Wow, this is 280 characters? It's amazing. Yeah, it, it is. I'm probably right on the limit. Now, keeping their needs in mind. So, what I'm gonna, I think the obvious answer here is if I'm drafting a guy for the defensive side of the ball to play, because we need a, I mean, have a need at interior defensive line, I am going to go with Mag the Mighty, the Giant, the Dude. I mean, oh, how, what's how, his how full name? Not? His full name is great. He would, yeah, Magmar Tundowig. <laughs> Magmar Tundowig. That's my guy. I, mean, I just a googled giant. name of the giant. I forgot to put Game of Thrones. I wonder if this will still work. No, it didn't. Because okay. Giants Bane. Yeah. Now, as a coach, I'm going to go with. I mean, the leadership of Tyrion Lannister, Battle of the Blackwater, advising Danny. Like that's my guy. That's my coach. I'm going with the dwarf. I'm wow. Going, I'm going with the half man. I'm- Tyrion, very bold. <laughs> That was not the name I expect you to say when you said leadership. Really? What name did you expect? Not like the like the semi alcoholic always scheming dwarf. <laughs> I love I don't have a name in mind. Maybe like Ned. Robert Brathian. Ned no, Ned Ned makes poor choices. So not Robert. Stannis Brathian. I said the wrong Brathian. Oh, Rob's obviously Brathian. Stannis is no fun. He'd be like a Bill Belichick presser. We will not we will not be disparaging Ned in this house. Yeah. Let's just trust them to The not first time you. I ever watched Game of Thrones. Which, spoiler alert if you've never watched it, when Call and Ned both die in the same episode at the end of season one, I had to stop watching. Yo. And I took like a month off, and then I re-began it, because I needed time to emotionally recover. So, we'll, we'll do the, where were you when Ned died? I was actually reading the books, and what happened was, when I read the first chapter, I'm like, oh, this is really good. I was reading the books right after the first season was released. I didn't know it was a thing. I was traveling a lot for work. I didn't have a lot of time to sit down and watch television, so I, I had a book with me. It was Game of Thrones, and it was the show cover. It was Ned Stark on the cover. And I got to like seven-tenths through the first book, and he died, and I lost my mind. I'm like, there's five of these books. He's on the cover. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> they screw with you big time. What is happening? So, yeah, that, that was my experience. So, yeah, but Mag the Mighty, interior defensive line, Tyrion Lannister as my coach. Ben, do, who do you have? All right, let's see. Who is the other giant? Because I feel like I feel like I, I I might have gone with a different giant than people know. The one that was smashing all the all the wildlings and everything. Not the wildlings. The uh... the giant that I found when I when I looked it up was one wag one dar one, which is the right. the one who's next to Tormund in that one famous picture. Yeah, Tormund is my favorite character in Game of Thrones. I think he's hysterical. Yeah. I love his facial expressions. He's the best, and he's rancid and awful, and I love him to death. He also looks. Kind of like Chris Long. Yeah. This is a, this is a Mike K of NG.com take. I don't hate it. So I'll put Tormund at defensive end. So we got Tormund. Coaching. And- right. Coaching, there's actually no question. There's one of two people who would coach. Hmm. It would either be Cersei Lannister Ooh. or Olena Tyrell. Ooh. Two of the baddest MFers in the whole show. Yo, all I right? love Olena. Now, Olena actually eventually catches the L. We all acknowledge that. But we knew that was coming. She lasted far longer than you would have expected. Yeah. But the thing about Cersei as coach is that if you think, like, Doug is bold when he goes for, like, fourth and four from, like, you know, the opponent's 42. Yeah. Cersei is fourth and 15 from our 20. Yeah. Cersei's going for fourth it, Fourth and 10 Cersei in from your own 20. She's, she's doing right. it. She's doing it. All right. <laughs> if When you're the character who actually says the titular 
when you play the Game of Thrones. You know, Game of Thrones, you're not right. Exactly. Like, <laughs> you have to be a certified BA. She obviously, and she can she can withstand the heat of the Philadelphia media. She walked naked through the streets, King's Landing, with a nun behind her, selling shame. She's great. You know what I mean? She can handle herself very eddy steady. She also wanted to cut her losses, i.e. kill her own people. You know, willing to make the tough sacrifice, willing to make the tough cuts, some would say. <laughs> very loyal I to think the family. Arya, Arya is a super interesting offensive piece, very versatile, can basically play any position, have any face, have any number. <laughs> Call Drogo at fullback. Oh. I'm fully there for that. Oh, Cal Call's Drogo, my favorite man. character in season one. He's like Alec Ingle. Call's my favorite character in season one. <laughs> when he tore the tongue out of the guy, yeah. lost my mind. Yeah. Literally cheered out loud. <laughs> These are my Game of Thrones player takes. Do you want any questions here? There's a question I saw that I want you to answer. You can hit me with a quick one. Uh, which backfield do you prefer? This is from Carlos Rodriguez at CarlosRod underscore O2. A. Spencer Ware. Corey Clement, Travis Homer, Wendell Smallwood. Mm-hmm. B, Damian Harris, Darren Sproles, Corey Clement, Wendell Smallwood. C, Divine Zigbo, Duke Johnson, Corey Clement, Wendell Smallwood. I'll go with the third one. I'll go with D- Divine, who tested fantastically at his pro day, and then you add in Duke Johnson. <sighs> Color me shocked. Yeah, I mean, we all knew he was going to test well just based off of his tape. He's a dog- doggone good football player. We're talking about the running back out of Nebraska. But yeah, then trade for Duke Johnson because Darren Sproles is great for a year, but Duke Johnson, I mean, you can have him for a few years. So I'm going to go with the more long-term exactly. outlook there. I'll go with a Zigbo, and I'll go with Duke Johnson, both – I mean, you don't have to spend a whole lot of capital on those guys, so I am definitely with that configuration. Ben, that is going to do it for the Kissed and Solak Show 83. Say goodbye to the gentle listeners. Oh, thank you as always for listening to the Kissed and Solak Show here on BGN Radio. Every day is a good day to be alive. Great day to have a great day. <laughs> uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, please go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe on whatever app you listen to your podcast, but especially iTunes, because we care about that one the most, because we're prejudiced towards Max. <laughs> uh, make sure you're listening to all the regular BGN radio shows, including the QB Sco Show, At the Podium, recent stuff up about the quarterbacks and some of the Combine interviews, which is a really good listen, as well as the main show with John Stolness and Brandon Lee Gowton. May, May forever, forever rate. Check out BleedingGreenNation.com for all of our written content. Follow us on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Michael Kist on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. It's K-I-S-T. Say nice things to us on the internet so that we love you forever. Goodbye. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly.